for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the seventh episode of the second season of NBC's This Is Us. This episode is called The Most Disappointed Man. Now, when I first saw that title, I figured somehow they were going to make it about Jack because everything seems to be about Jack. And I thought, what is why he's never disappointed. But it turns out that the most disappointed man was uh, was it William or was it the judge? Well, the judge says that if William is the most disappointed man in the world, then the judge is a close second. Okay, so it's it's William. Where do you want to start this week? I would actually like to start with Kate, Toby and Kevin slash Sophie, because I feel like the Randall William Pearson's whole story is a kind of a whole separate segment from them. So Kate and Toby are all a titter because Kevin's supposed to come over and they're going to they're going to do their big baby reveal. I thought that joke where he was like, are you two letting me know that you've given up on fashion? <laughs> I when he, I didn't register at all what they were wearing until he said it. And then I looked at both of them. I was like, oh, my God, because they're both just wearing like giant gray sweatshirts. Yeah, it was super funny. I thought that the reveal was adorable. What did you think about Kevin's reaction? I couldn't decide whether or not that was a result of him not being as bright as everybody else or if it's the fact that he's kind of on a low level high most of the time now. I'm going to call it something else because my sister told me that she was pregnant in a in kind of a creative way with a card and the way that it said it, it was like three of us say something to you and I didn't get it at first and it really like messed up my response because I was of course thrilled for them that they were pregnant but for some reason when I read it and I didn't understand it like he was trying to read the baby shirt or whatever and then sort of you get like caught off guard in a way and it's like what the it's like you don't get an actual organic response you get sort of that like well, that was awkward kind of response. And I felt terrible. I still to this day, my nephew is nine years old and I still feel terrible that I didn't like jump up and down, but it didn't register. And even after the fact, I was sort of still like, what? What does this card say? I don't understand. Now you know what it's like to be me for like most things. <laughs> That's why you don't like to go to gender reveal parties. You're like, what is it? It's a monkey. Do they have a puppy? I don't. Why is there a box? Why would they put the baby in a box? It's just that bad. <laughs> it's fact, guys. He hates that stuff. When they did show Kevin, though, after the initial smiles and hugs and his face looked kind of like it went kind of blank. Mm -hmm. Then it was like, oh, okay. so it is settling in with him that everybody's moving forward. Things are happening with everyone else. And Kevin's sort of just treading water. This whole thing about Kate becoming pregnant, that's her own life, obviously, you know, but it triggers this death spiral (laughs) on on Kevin because it starts affecting what he's thinking about, what he's doing and decisions he's making. And it wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have had that. It might have happened later, but it it happened right now because it was presented with this sister having a baby thing like right now. Don't you think that that's pretty common? And especially with twins that, you know, if your sibling gets a job promotion or something, you feel compelled to like do something to, to make yourself feel like you're also doing things well or like he was on the cusp of maybe of maybe getting engaged. And, and it was like, well, what do I do? And then it was like, oh, well, if she's moving forward, I should move forward. That's probably where he started. That's why he 
probably went to the the ring store. Oh, I think definitely why. But then the rest of it, the daydreaming about being a shitty husband and a shitty father and all that, that was, I think the linchpin was Kate's having a baby. And I think that she says a line. She says something like, can't you imagine what a great dad that Toby's going to be? Mm-hmm. And and it's like, yeah, I can totally see that. And then so then when he's like daydreaming, he's thinking, what kind of dad would I be? I think he's accurate with with that <laughs> depiction, right? Even if he wasn't doing drugs, I think that level of selfishness and self-centeredness is 100% who Kevin is, which is so sad. I, I feel terrible that there's no room for another person in Kevin's life. When he goes to Sophie's door and he is pretty well high at this point, I would say, because he's not yeah. Really cohesive in what he's saying. When he says that he is hollow and empty inside and all that, that's the kind of stuff that we've been identifying about his surface level emotions and not really wanting to dig deeper and figure out why he can't think about his dad and all that other kind of stuff. And he's identified it. And he's basically saying like, well, this is the way I am. So you're better off not being with me. I'll hurt you if I'm if you're with me. Yeah. I mean, that line when he says, when I think about our future, it's a nightmare. <laughs> I don't know how you bounce back from that. You know, I think that it was so telling when he bought three rings and he had basically just no idea what he wanted. Like he was just throwing his money around and, you know, using his privilege to be able to just coast forward without really making a decision. Yeah. And, um, you know, having the money to do that. And like he was just going to like let her pick one, which. On one hand, I understand there are gals who would like to have some amount of choice or whatever, but I think when it's coming from a place of like, I just don't even know you or can read this situation well enough to choose a ring, so I'm just going to like buy you a bunch of rings, that that feels weird. Interesting that it came in threes. Has this show got oh. have other threes that have ever like just been thrown in there, kind of like X's in an X-Men movie? Just here and there, three. Big three? Well, yeah, that's the one I mean, obviously, but I mean, other more subtle uses of threes. I think that we could talk about William, Shauna and Randall later in a big three kind of way. Okay, let's finish with the lighter weight bunch then. I feel like right now that Kevin and Sophie are just a mess. I think that they're over, honestly. And from what I understand, off screen news, the character that plays Sophie is uh, due any day now to have a baby. And is likely to head out on maternity leave. Now, what's interesting about that is you remember your hypothesis that Kevin could turn up to be a father unexpectedly. Mm. So who knows how many scenes could have been filmed with a pregnant, real pregnant Sophie. Um, So who knows? That could be there. Or like you said, uh, someone could just pop up from the past. I don't want it to be over with Sophie because I think that there's so much there, especially if you go back to like how Kate had gotten that note at the pool and it said like, we don't want to be your friend and everybody's names were signed and Sophie's name was signed on it, Mm. even though it's S-O-F-I-A and Sophie spells her name like S-O-P-H-I-E, but people were saying, well, yeah, but little kids wrote it. So maybe if, it, if you were uh, another little kid writing it on behalf, you might spell it wrong. Okay. Um, and so that's not too crazy. And they didn't show like all these other kids. So like it was like, well, I mean, this is the circle that they run in, you know? So I want to know more about Kate and Sophie and like what went on with their past and how that affected Kevin. I don't see her coming back either really. 
there's something about when you reach kind of a certain age in the dating scene. We we never experienced that because we were very young when we got married. But we have friends that have been in their late 30s and still dating. And it gets harder, I think, for them because they're very set in the way that they do things. And they're like, you can come to me. You know, <laughs> you know well, what I mean? I think, and Sophie and Kevin's case, I mean, they've already danced this dance. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been married and divorced. Kevin cheated on her. Oh. How can you possibly recover from that to begin with? And so the fact that he came, pled his case to her, took her to the restaurant, the diner, you know, had those people get out of their seats and stuff and like tried to rekindle this whole thing just for it to end with him saying, when I think about our future, it's a nightmare. If I was Sophie, I'd, I couldn't put on my running shoes fast enough to get the hell out of Dodge. Well, and really, in a lot of ways, she's too good for him in those kind of ways that a lot of women are for their men. but. He, it may be too much for him to span the gap. Do you think that there's any way for them to help us see that Kevin isn't as hollow inside as he even professes to be? Is there anything there? Like, can you build a character who even we perceive as being hollow and then he actually says it, but that you can redeem in a way where you see this depth and you understand like, no, really, when you peel back the layers, there was a lot more there. We may get it next week with that preview that seems very Kevin-centric. Uh, the whole episode looks Kevin-centric. So maybe he's got some thinking to do about his dad and that's going to help break through. Do you think it's possible though? Like for you yourself, like as a viewer, do you see Kevin being able to suddenly look like a full whole person? Oh, suddenly? No. I think it's got to be a journey kind of situation. Like the trick that Mad Men used for Don was... They had a season break, basically, right, where he kind of walked off the job in one season then came back. The next season, he was doing completely different stuff in this kind of eat, pray, love portion of his life, you know, but you got the sense that he was getting to be a fuller person at the same time because of the varied adventures he'd been on and and the stuff he was saying and doing and reacting to differently, but you had that sense of that this this giant span of time had passed too. I could see that. Would that would you like to see a time jump between this season and next? No. This show seems to work really well with its the way that it does work, centered around their birthdays as like a, a time to catch up with them again. But still that would be like a year in theory. Right. Because right. these are really close. I mean, so far we've only been a couple of weeks. And we're on episode seven. Let's see. Last year was an 18 or 19 episode season. So I bet this year is going to be about the same. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Heading back from Kevin's sad story, heading back to that point where they tell Kevin after he leaves, Kate and Toby are, are thinking, you know, okay, well, that went really well. And Kate kind of pulls back and was all like, uh, did you feel like that, that, that he was off or that that seemed weird? What do you think? Like, is this like about time someone said something? I was asking myself that same question, whether or not her twin radar is basically feeling a little scrambled because of her own personal excitement and that kind of stuff. It's like overriding her sixth sense, if you will, because she had a, she had a blip, you know, cause he was asking dumb questions and kind of looking a little vacant and stuff like that. But it didn't fully register as like, this is actually an emergency. We could save him from ruining his relationship if we stepped in right now. I think that that part was felt very sad in retrospect. And you're like, oh, man, I wish that, you know, Kate had acted on that a little bit. But of course, she was super busy with with now turning to Toby's family. Did you think that it was odd at all that it was like the first person we need to tell is Kevin? The Mm, second person we need to tell is Toby's mom. 
I mean, do Randall and Rebecca just like fall off the map for Kate? Well, Kevin would be an easy place to start because he would be supportive right away. I'm, I'm almost positive that would be the thinking. And then Toby's mom, they know, would be like the hardest place to go. Okay, so you think they were trying to play the both extremes? I guess so. Okay. So do you think it was pretty realistic about Toby's mom and the Catholic angle? You see less and less of that these days, but it's still there especially on TV for some reason. The part that I did identify with was the phone anxiety of <laughs> needing to call and then being like, am, am I leaving a message? Am I really leaving a message? Is that what I'm doing? And, 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 <laughs> and then having Kate like intervene, hang up the phone. Did that seem awfully familiar? Uh, yeah, I might have lived a few moments like that. <laughs> Not only that, but I think that the whole conversation about the judge block Again, a judge, which comes to play later. Mm. Um, but boy, is that familiar, right? Like um, your grandma. Rest- she was a judge, Judy. What do you call that? I would say an addict, man. Devotee. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and she had to do the whole block. It was like Judge Judy, Judge Mathis and divorce court. Like she had to do the block. And it was like, oh, I know so many people who who fall into that category that that's like hilarious that they like nail on the head for that one. In my first few viewings of Toby, I was not super wild about him. I thought he was too quirky. But this episode sent my estimation of the Tobster up a few notches in that he kind of got over himself with feeling uncomfortable about Jack's urn and recognized that there was a bigger need for this wedding thing than just to get it done, which, you know, he, he saw through that Kate was not... That's not what she meant. Was it satisfying then to you that they, you know, had gone to City Hall and, you know, they make that I liked it when the clerk goes and then whoosh, you'll be married. And he's like, is that the sound marriage makes? <laughs> they, <laughs> they do here. <laughs> they do here. Yeah. I felt like that whole part brought them back to earth of like, what are we doing? You know, do we want to whoosh, you know, wedding? Is this what we're looking for? I was so touched when Toby sat and talked to Jack because he was kind of looking a little bit into the camera when he's like, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to talk to you. And then you could see like the urn was just sort of like, you know, a little blurry in the corner, you know, and it was yeah. like, oh, he's talking to Jack. It's like he finally got Kate in so many ways, you know, and I mm-hmm. appreciated the fact that her level of loss and her level of love like transferred to him. Because like Toby was like, I would have killed this. Like he actually felt the loss of not getting to ask Jack for Kate's hand in marriage. Like he felt that. And like that's, again, a pretty huge thing that like here this man is not even a part of this storyline as a live character. And yet here you have Toby literally feeling that loss and being like, I would have killed it. I would have done such a good job. And again, amazing writing to to be able to sort of go around in a circle like that and come back to like Toby actually feeling that loss of someone he never met or even really knows very much about. I didn't think about that, but that's a astounding legacy for a, a suitor to even feel that way. Uh, that never met him. I also felt like when, um, when Kate described her obvious hangups, you know, shopping for a dress was going to be difficult. I appreciated that they said that. But then also, you know, and to be honest with you, Paul, I know you did not do any dress shopping, but if you're above an eight, you're in bad shape in terms of like looking for wedding dresses. So you can imagine what's going on with Kate. Sure. I mean, they don't even, this is going to sound gauche, but do they, the quote unquote, the bridal industry, do they have shops for 
varied sized people? I mean, I can't, I, I mean, I think in Kate's particular case, it would be a specialty situation where I think you would probably have to get something made because honestly, I, I mean, I, I don't know. And I don't want to presume because obviously the actress is a real person. So I don't want to presume to know her size, but I understood the character's concern that she certainly couldn't walk into 90% of boutiques and find something at all. But I loved that she moved on from that so quickly. And it wasn't just about her weight. You know, she was like, I don't want to have to deal with who am I who's going to walk me down the aisle? What about the daddy daughter dance? You know, like she really had thought it through of, like you know, things that were going to be difficult. And they will be, but they are probably worth going through. Right. And Toby had an answer, right? Toby was like, you'll stand between your two brothers who are going to like love the hell out of you, you know, and walk you down the aisle. And he was sort of the one, you know, to be not just the supporter in that case, but saying like, there is a new normal here, as opposed to last week, Rebecca saying like, every situation is bittersweet because I can be happy, but your dad's not here. So there's a level of sadness. I felt like Toby, not only talking to the urn, but then also saying like, here's what new normal looks like. You have two brothers who will love you and walk you down that aisle and we will do things like this. And even though it's not the traditional way, you have a beautiful, loving family who's going to love and support you. And I think that that isn't always talked about in this family. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of like, well, Jack's not here and Jack's not here, but there's not a lot of like, but we have a great stepdad and our siblings are strong together. And, you know, there's not a lot of sort of talking up what was left. There's mm -hmm. a lot of loss. So I appreciated that Toby pointed out, but look what you do have. So how do you feel? Obviously, we're going for the real wedding. Yeah, which real weddings take time. So that, I mean, is that even like a this season kind of question or? <sighs> you know, I know a lot of uh, pre-marital conceptions like to get that wedding done before the big day. And this one is a little bit more tricky because, first of all, I mean, they've already told people that she's pregnant. So it's not exactly like, you know, they're going to try to hide that. Secondly, I mean, she pointed it out herself. I mean, sometimes people choose to do that because... They are looking to look a certain way in their dress. And for her, she already said, like, I don't even know if people are going to recognize I'm pregnant because I'm so much bigger. So then in that case, it's not exactly like her dress size would maybe even look that different, you know? Sure. So there might not be. I mean, there's some people who are like, I will not be in a dress unless I'm like a two, you know? And so that that would affect people. But I think, what do you think? Maybe they, they claim to want to not be a show that does it by the book. So in that case, I don't want to think it's like a wedding finale. Oh, so you think it'd just be like a random Tuesday, I mean, Tuesday sometime next uh I think that February. every single episode is hard hitting. So then in that case, I don't think you have to expect a finale to be something huge. You know, big things happen on days that are not finales. And so I think that that's something that's important to... Think about now. What do you think about his proposal? It was Tobyish, quirky, unusual. No one else would ever do it that way, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, you know what's my only eyebrow on that? They just did the unzip the sweatshirt for the baby reveal. So then, you know, Mister, I'm the king of like I can come up with the most amazing proposal ever. It was kind of lackluster to then do the same unzip the sweatshirt right you were like it's been done well he just did it <laughs> right 10 seconds before so all right so looking forward to kate and toby moving forward with their wedding i do feel better about toby and i do think he's being more respectful of 
you know, who Kate is and how things have to be done by talking to the urn. I think he like literally recognized the elephant in the room. Just now it's like uh, there's a this wonderful funeral passage that we read in our family. And then you say, like, speak my name as as you always did. And I think that the idea that the way that Kate just talks to the urn, like, like, oh, he's just like you, you know, things like that. Now, if Toby does that, then that's like the, the you know, the clouds part right. and the heaven shines down. Yeah, <laughs> because it's like, oh, my gosh, he's going to incorporate Jack in their life. You know, he's going to hold the baby pictures up to the urn and say, like, look, you know, and that's like, yay, you know, you found someone. Anything else about Kevin? I mean, he's just I. what I felt when I saw his story for as bad as it wound up this episode. I feel like he's probably got a, a few more sub basements of shit to go through. I do, too. I think th- I think that, you know, given that everything happened to him with the football stuff that landed him in the hospital, it will not shock me if there's some sort of drinking drug related car accident or injury that lands him back in the hospital again Mm. which because that sort that was sort of like the defining moment for him of having to change you know paths of his life Mm -hmm. kind of feels that way i mean if there's one word that describes this whole show it's patterns yeah and that would be so interesting because you know a lot of times a, a drunk driving stop or something like that will seriously derail if not end um, kind of a, a middle of the road popularity actor's career. You know what I mean? A lot of times they get kicked off their show or, you know, replaced on their movie or, or whatever. So you could see where, you know, like the, the knee screwed up his, his football and then the knee, even though he tried to power through it, could screw up the acting anyway. All right, so then we're left with our last triplet, Randall, and his adventure this week included heading to go bring Daisha to visit mom. And I thought that they did a really great job of using the camera work to really highlight the very unfamiliar, very, uh, I think, frightening process that is having to get checked in to go visit a prisoner. Yeah, it was. We were seeing it through Randall's eyes, actually, because Deja was like, I've seen someone in handcuffs before. And uh, I I didn't really think about it until just right now. But, you know, the, the, the show started with the social worker coming to check out the Pearson's home to see if it was suitable for for Randall. And here we have in Randall's storyline, the social worker working with them to to integrate Deja into their house. I thought that was, now that's, now that I think about it, that's a very nice parallel. Very cyclical. Yeah. How pissed were you when they say that Shauna doesn't want to see Deja? Sorry. I was mad for Randall because in the scenes leading up to this, you could tell that some more time had passed and she had finally started to kind of, fully defrost and was talking dressing normal um they were bantering back and forth about her acute hair and and he could talk to her and she would answer and it and i was afraid for for him that this disappointment would be like the first episode again where she breaks some shit and runs out of the room Mm -hmm. um i was afraid for him for that and but she kept it 
together, although he had to tell her a lie to get there. Now, what do you think about that? I was thinking very hard about the idea of trying to trying to start a new path for Deja. And I can see the parallel to Rebecca and that Randall opts to lie to Deja about where her mom is and why she isn't there and saying like there was a mix up and this kind of stuff. Now, this wasn't as big as William and that whole story with Rebecca, but it places both of them in that parental position of choosing to lie to their child to make it easier. To, to keep another parent away. And to help them move on, right? Yeah. So I felt kind of uncomfortable that Randall chose to walk the same walk as Rebecca. And and I felt it because it would have been great if he maybe started to tell that and then somehow caught himself and was like, I am not going to be in a, one more adult who lies to you. You know, like I, I, we need to start like a fresh place where like, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you and you can trust me. So I didn't like it that he was like setting this precedent now of lying to her for her own good. Hmm. Because he had gone through, you know, he had already told her earlier, you know, stuff's going down with your mom, whatever. Or, you know what? I would have made this social worker come out and say something. Yeah, that would have been appropriate, actually. I think it would have been way more appropriate. Why in the world would the social worker force the foster parent to play that role? Chicken shit. <laughs> what did you think about the, the throwdown with the social worker? Well, the theme of Randall this episode seemed to be that he didn't know what he didn't know, basically. So he would shoot off his mouth with kind of half the story and he got called on it a couple times and be like, actually, here's the whole story or here's another angle you clearly have never even considered it existed. So he got chewed out rightfully by the uh, social worker on the, the deaf baby that she couldn't place and i think it broadened his perspective hopefully but he's still later on talking to um deja's mom did the same thing again assumed that she didn't want to see deja and didn't take into account that her face was all beaten up and all were you surprised that that was the reason um yeah i was it was um it was better than I just don't want to see her. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, it's not great. I mean, I, I could, I could see myself making so many of the exact same arguments as Randall. You know, I'm on this side of the glass, so I must be doing something right. You know, that that kind of smart alecky business. But um, I would sound as naive as he does. Like he he's he's well intentioned, but he's also, you know, kind of out of his depth here. Uh, and I, and she calls him on it, you know, and she's like, don't think you're on the other side of that glass because you haven't got some breaks, you know, that somebody didn't do something for you that it that I just didn't get those breaks, you know, like you're not so much more special or better than I am. Randall might have been extra charged up because of his discussion with Beth the previous night or at least the previous scene when, uh, you know, we, before. Before the the trip to the to the jail or the prison, and and Beth was like, "These are court ordered. You have to go." And, and Randall's like, "I really don't want to do this. It's a bad idea." And then when they come back, and Randall explains, and 
Beth and, and, and he's like, are we switching? And she's like, oh yeah, we're switching. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she fired him up and then he went in there kind of half, half cocked and went off on what's her name and Shauna. I appreciated that again. It's the same thing that we said at the beginning of this episode that, you know, standing in someone else's shoes, like you have no idea, no idea who you're talking to. And you should keep that in mind always. And there's so much about this entire episode, especially getting into the flashbacks that are like, if you only understood the person's viewpoint that you're speaking to, you would have a very different way to address them. And I, and it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you can even find common ground, which I thought was, was an interesting and realistic, very, um, mature way to handle like some really complicated stuff that they had to deal with. I want to finish with Shauna real quick before we head to the flashbacks, but that last part when Randall basically, um, you know, sticks his chest out and says, you know, you're going to have to go through me to get Deja back. First of all, I want to know, do you think that that was remotely appropriate as a foster father? He's gotten attached and he feels like he can do better for her than, than her mother. And in a lot of ways, he he's probably right um, in terms of providing a safe, stable home with some chance of of a gainful future. He can offer those things. So I think he has a right to say that up on a pedestal. I thought it was interesting how he kind of forgot his lesson, though, with Deja um, about men and about uh, in any way bullying's too strong, but but coming off too harshly to especially women who have been abused by men. So for him to say to Shauna, you're going to have to go through me and her saying, I've been through worse was like, I felt like that was very similar to the conversation where Deja was like, you have to stop grabbing at me because I went through this situation with this, with this foster family where I was beat by a man, you know, who grabbed at me and stuff. And you have to stop doing that. I kind of felt like, Randall, I need you to step back and realize like every single person you're dealing with, including the social worker, have been metaphorically beat by someone, you know, and you can't go around being blustery and aggressive with all these women, Shauna, Deja, even the social worker, because they are living in a fragile place and they have been abused by men all over the place, you know? So you can't, you can't do that. So I appreciated that at the very end of that story, I think he might've remembered that. And, and he gave her their phone number and said to call collect and sort of like realized like, I can't be like a bully with her or I'm no better than those men who've bullied her all these years. You know, if I'm supposed to be something different in a better path then I need to be something different, you know, I got to be a better path. You know, paths that benefit from lucky breaks or not even luck, just going things going your way. We get to see the the workings of the judicial system as it pertains to both William, a young William, and the Pearsons trying to legally adopt baby Randall. Again, I have zero experience with how the like foster to adopt part, which is I guess what they were doing with Randall when he was, you know, before he was officially adopted. And that process of first time she comes, you know, cleaning up really, really well for the social worker. And then 
she just keeps like bopping in, you know, anytime that one part when Rebecca's coming down the stairs and she's like, he almost bit my nipple off. And he's like, you know, and she's just like buttoning up her shirt when here she is, Paula, here to say hello. And, you know, she's constantly trying to, you know, apologize for giving them cake on their birthday and that kind of stuff. Like I, I have no glimpse into that. So neither have I ever visited anyone in jail. So I felt like I'm, I'm banking that these are, are honest depictions of how these situations go. And man, it seems like stressful. Yeah. Uh, I think we would act a lot like the Pearsons if we were under that kind of microscope, just that, you know, we've had the, <laughs> we've had the cleaners come twice today. Yes, basically. <laughs> and you're like, thank you, Paula, for coming. Then everyone was like, oh, when she leaves, you know, because you're good people, but it's just like hard to put on that, that front when you've got three little kids running around and we've had three little kids running around and tried to put on a front and tried to put on a front. It's very, very hard. It leads you to just not invite anyone over anymore. <laughs> it's just too hard. But we had the two different situations. So we had the Pearsons going to adopt Randall and that, and all the trials and tribulations with that. And then literally Williams on trial over on in the other courtroom, which I was reading this as this was happening simultaneously in the same courthouse. Yeah, I think that's right. Which is mind blowing to me. I have this theory that I I wish that I could see my own footsteps because I feel like if I could see my own footsteps, I would be astounded of the places that I've been before and how many times I've retread over certain ground and how miraculous would it be if you were say Randall and you would be able to see you know the footprints of like your dad and other people and like realize that like my footsteps went into this courtroom and my father's footsteps went into this courtroom like oh you know like it's just so crazy and I mean you know they it's they do they do live close by each other they both went to the same hospital area you know so we know that they're all within the same vicinity. It's interesting how they built this, right? So that William comes into Randall's life later and has a huge impact on him, right? But there's a chance, there's a pretty good chance that if that judge from his recollection in this episode had thrown the book at him because it sounded like he easily threw the book at anybody that needed book throwing. Um, if he would have gone to jail, his whole adult life would have gone totally different trajectory than it did where he wound up, even though he was advanced age and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and in a place where Randall could find him later on, he might've been just chronically in prison, died in prison. All these other kinds of horrible things could have happened. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I, I want to say, about the there's so much to say about these judges, but the um the judge who actually played the same actor played Bernard on Lost, mm, um, right, which yeah. actually when you said the very very beginning when you said the most disappointed man, I thought that isn't that there a Lost title that's like very very similar to that? There's a man from Tallahassee, but I don't remember the disappointed man. I just feel like there's there was something it remind that title reminded me of Lost and then for for Bernard to be in it I was like it's funny you know to see that Bernard as the judge there being like um you said he easily threw the book at people I didn't take that at all I took it that it was a horrific part of his job that he hated and that he was fully aware that he was ruining these people's lives. You know, when when William went through the whole 
monologue of, you know, I have this terrible life. I'm the most disappointed man. I've lost my mom. I've lost my, my girl. I've lost my baby. I've lost all of this. And so who cares if I take drugs or do whatever? What, what does anyone care? I felt like, you know, then when the judges retort about the like, yeah, you're talking about how terrible your story is. I'm the one that writes these stories and I'm the one that like determines these endings and it's awful. It's so awful. And so I felt like so inspired and excited when he wanted to talk to William again. Did you think he was going to be lenient with him or what did you think he was going to say? Uh, I did just, I mean, that would be the only reason I could think of that, that a judge would step out of his, you know, the, the official due process of the law and all that kind of stuff. Um, if, unless there was some special reason, why did you think that the judge was pulling him out before the actual part, the sentencing part of the trial? I had no idea. I literally didn't. It could have been even as like an admonishment for like acting so hot in the courtroom. I don't know. I mean, I did not know it. I was really grateful that he found a way to look for good in William and understand that this was a scenario in which, you know, it's just there were so many crappy things that had happened to William that led to this moment. And but it didn't have to define the rest of his life. And that's what I felt like was like so special that he actually figured I can do something better for this man. And the whole part about looking at my face and, you know, whenever you feel like you're going to do something, I want you to imagine this face. And man, you know, the actor, it, I, I have all the feels for Bernard because, you know, Bernard and Rose had such a beautiful relationship together. And um, so he comes with a lot of baggage for me about feeling like he, his, he has the, those really sorrowful and loving eyes, you know, and that's how I felt that that all came out onto William. In the Stephen King series, The Dark Tower, it takes place in another land with all different kinds of idioms and all that kind of stuff. So the stuff that they say sounds familiar, but it's not the same way that we say it. And one of the things that they say when you have shamed yourself in some way is that you have forgotten the face of your father. If you said that to someone, then you're you're saying your dad would be ashamed of you right now. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, what you just said reminded me of that. You've yeah. forgotten the face of your father. Yeah. I like that because that's exactly what the judge was trying to be for him right then is be that paternal, you know, father figure person to say like, I'm watching you make a good choice, make a good choice. And it, and it worked and it worked for William all the way into the very last moment what kind of shocked scene was that for you when he decides just, you know, when he's an, an old man, he's been given the terminal diagnosis, he's just going to do the drugs, and then there's the knock at the door. That was that was part of what makes this show great is how it interlocks like that. There's no accidents in the way this is all constructed. So that was really like... Ah. I was I was wondering if that was going to be another Rebecca visit or something, but then it was the Randall visit. So that was pretty awesome. I was sh like shocked and like just thrown back like, oh, my God, you know, could you imagine, though? I mean, he has been in the, that's been 37 years, right, since his last hit of heroin, basically 36 years because they were adopting Randall at one years old. Right. 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 So um, five years because the last 30 some years 30 some odd years and then you go back and do it anyway well and it that 
that suggests like that whole time he's been like, God damn, I wish I could have some heroin. And he's been thinking of Bernard's face and be like, but I can't do it. And he's like, well, I got nothing else to lose at this point. So sorry, Bernard's face. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I think at that point, you know, who knows well any of us will feel when someone says you don't have long to live. But I think that, you know, that idea the the desperation and the sadness that that fills me with to think that there's so many of us who live with such a different outlook on life and are very much more privileged than William, where if someone said to me, you don't have long to live, I certainly wouldn't go think, how could I go be destructive to myself? I would think, well, what's my bucket list? What are the things I want to see? What are the things I want to do You know, before I die? I would not think, well, first thing I'm going to do is go like, blast my brains out with drugs, you know? But that, again, is coming from a very privileged, very different vantage point. Yeah, I think it's, I think it gets back to that he, he's been wanting to do it that whole time. Well, and maybe even, maybe even the futility of changing the ending of the story. Here was Bernard, Judge Bernard, I'm going to call him, trying to keep him from being just another drug addict and at the end of the day when it when when push came to shove that's what was going to be it if you just look through the judicial system's eyes right the story was going to be the same but it was randall it was love that changed it yeah and that's what changed the story so as much as judge bernard tried to changed the ending, he he ultimately wouldn't have if Randall hadn't shown up. He would have taken the drugs. He would have died, the drug addict, that William could have been in that very first trial episode, you know, mm-hmm. part. And the ending would have been the same. And how futile is that? And the... I don't I don't know if I'm I'm not ready to talk about the judges scene yet, but I'm but keep that in your brain about the futility of how it was, you know, about okay. the decisions. So let's get back to the Pearsons and let's talk real quick about the idea of Taking those photographs. You're you're an old photographer. It's adoption day photos. I'm also a f- uh, harried father from several attempts at taking uh, studio portraits with my young kids and having them be some of the most traumatic and painful emotional experiences of of my young fatherhood. Uh, do you remember going to Portrait Innovations and having um, the children climb over everything and, and cry and cry? And at one point, we just decided to stop being in the photos because I needed to wear basically like jogging pants and like a, the lightest T-shirt I owned, so I could just like run in and out of the shot and keep making. It's them. like we needed like a bungee harness that would just like yes. lower us into position and then snap us out of the way, right uh, in time to take the photo. Right in time to take the photo. This element of race is always present given that it's a white family raising a black child. And this week it took a turn where a black judge stepped in and said, I don't feel great about this. Did that feel to you necessary or like a great place to go in this episode? Or did it feel like, I don't know, like it's been said, it's been done. It's been, We've addressed this a lot already. Do we need to do it again this week? I think that Shauna, Deja's mom, William, Randall, and the judge that the Pearsons originally had all have their own 
unique perspective on what it is to be black in America. And I think that at the time that he would have been being adopted, it was like 1981. I think that that we forget a lot that like people were not accepting. I mean, it was only in the 60s that a black person could marry a white person. It would have been in that judge's lifetime that interracial marriage would have been outlawed. Mm. So the idea of having a black child live in a white family, I don't know, P. I mean, no, I, I think that that is a very real timeline and what very much could have happened. Now, he didn't deny the adoption. He said he wanted to talk to the social worker more and then he had more questions for her. And again, in the in the same sort of um, very non-traditional way that Judge Bernard wanted to talk with William, it was surprising to me that the judge in the Pearson case was willing to speak to them in his chambers outside of the courtroom. That reminded me of something that you would do. Like, that's (laughs) that's the judge. Go get him. (laughs) I would 100% do that. And I would certainly do that if we had just gone through that portrait innovations bullshit (laughs) on photo day. And I had tried to commemorate this. And now he was going to ruin this entire situation. They had just shown that they had gone through a year worth of social visits and the social worker, God damn, God damn. <laughs> right. What do you need from me? You know, I'd be losing my mind. You're lucky if I just said, go get the judge. <laughs> I might be like doing some other stuff. Do you think the judge had a point? Yes, clearly. I mean, we've seen in later episodes, later depictions of Randall's life, but earlier episodes right. where they're ignorance of just even simple skincare kinds of stuff. Um was apparent to everybody else who who did know those things. Um, so that's just skincare. What that judge was talking about was much heavier stuff. Yeah. And they, I mean, Rebecca was very naive sounding when she said that we can teach. The judge like rolled his eyes in this big like, woman, <laughs> you have no idea what to teach him. And I, and I think that that message was fair for him to bring up. And again, fair for him to say, I have actual concerns because now again, this is just not from, I, I am a white woman and I will own that, that that is my identity. I do not have the same journey that anyone of black skin in our country has. However, I have spoken with enough friends and enough stories and acquaintances and read enough to know that, you know, you do have to teach your children, if you are a black mom with black children, that you have to behave differently with a police officer. You have to be aware of what is going on around you in a way that a white person doesn't. This is what I've been told and I believe it. And so in that case, when the judge is like saying things are going to be different, the Pearson saying like, no, we can just figure it out is like, you it's what you were saying about Randall. You don't know what you don't know, you know, and yeah. you're exposing that in such a way that is too much, you know, it's like too bold. So what did you think about her going back and cutting out the pictures? Do you know that most people did not know why she cut the pictures out and glued Randall into the other shot? They thought that they were doing it because, um, modern day you know photoshop you would have put a smiling kid and so since maybe randall looked better in that one she glued him in then why did she oh no you're one of them well what 
the photographer said he was having a hard time with the light readings. Oh, so, and so uh, she chose the photo that looked the best of Randall, cut him out, and put him in the best lighting so that for he them, was exposed so correctly. that all yes. of them had the best exposure. Oh, Paul, you were one of them who well, thought it was about smiling kids. No, I was one of them that thought it was yeah using the best picture of him. But yeah. No. She says in the thing, exposure for my family is complicated. Mm. What did yeah. you think she was talking about? Just like wind exposure? Media exposure. <laughs> You're a Muppet. Okay. Well, sadly, I just exposed that 50% of Daily Review didn't do a very good job this week. However, I thought that the ultimate choice to recuse himself was pretty surprising. Did you? I I thought it was the move of a guy with with strong convictions but had had gotten involved to a level that he couldn't be fair anymore. So I thought that it spoke a lot about his integrity. In some ways you might think well that's kind of chickening out, but no, I, I think it's more like maintaining the integrity of the process. I like that you're that you're saying that because I think you're exactly right. I think that some people it would have been really really easy and very sitcommy to write that her letter and her picture changed his mind and he had turned a new leaf and he had a complete respect for this a multiracial family now, but he didn't. And that's true in life, you know, where people don't, they're not going to switch their opinion, not at that age, not at that stage of life. He's not going to totally turn in a day, you know? Right. But I respect what you're saying that like, but he is a man that has the, the, the integrity to say, you know what? I have talked with this family far too much to possibly be able to come in here and be remotely neutral. And, and now I know them even just in one conversation enough to like know what is going on a little bit more. And like, that can't really be the way that this goes, you know, I mm -hmm. need to sort of be more impartial. Do you think that it was purposeful that they made the next judge a black woman and yeah. a younger black woman? Yes, for sure. What do you think we were supposed to glean from that? That there's the way things were don't have to be the way things continue to be. Oh, I love that. That's a great way to put it. I definitely felt like she was like a fresher, younger voice and definitely was like super excited about them loving on Randall, you know? Mm -hmm. and, as, and I liked that they made the kids like sleeping and kind of grumpy and whatever. And like, this wasn't like they put on their front, like they came in there as the actual family. Right. Like normally for TV, when they, you know, they pick the twin that is acting most camera ready, right. you know, and this, this time they must have gone and gotten the baby. The sleeping that was, one. Right. The one that was crabby. And... <laughs> and they're like, cue the crabs. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I loved it. Okay. So now we have to talk about that judge scene. What did you think? In case you guys don't remember, and it was a small scene, so if it if it didn't affect you like it affected me, um, I I understand, but because it was only like a three sentence interaction. But we had Judge Bernard from Williams' trial, and we had the original judge from the Pearson adoption case sitting reading the paper, obviously in like what I can only assume is like a judge's lounge. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the realization that this. That is when I realized that both of these cases were happening in the same place at the same time. 
because I didn't put that together at all. I just thought we were flashing back to William. We were flashing back to Randall, you know, these kinds of things. I didn't know that these two judges who were deciding the fate of both Randall and William were doing it concurrently in the same building. And then, so that alone, you know, goosebumps to be like, oh my God. But then for him to say, did you do anything good today? And the other judge say, I don't know. And him and him asked back, did you? And he's like, I don't know. How much was that like, oh, my heart. It's like everything of what it is to be human. And I think for my own self, as a mom, as a parent, as a spouse, as a daughter, it's like what I ask myself every day. Like, did I do something good today? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> You know, like, I hope I made the right choices. I, I hope I guided them the right way. I hope I said it the right way. I hope I did the right things. But it's like none of us know. But like in the case of those judges, like they were determining on like the grandest scale. You know, I mean, they were they were telling what these life's paths were going to be. They weren't going to have a do over the next day. How poignant was that? I I love that scene, especially how honestly they they regarded each other and how I, I kind of wish they would have said a little bit more or something like you just said, something like, I sure hope so. But I also like the honesty of I don't know, which is a tough answer for highly educated, very responsible, full of authority kind of people to give. Especially judges who are supposed to be decisive decision makers with with very specific opinions. Yeah, for them both to be like, I have no bloody idea <laughs> is is very honest and, and something you'd only get probably in the judge's lounge. <laughs> for sure. When the robes come off <laughs> right. and the newspapers come out, you get all honesty all the time. I, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was so touching. I, I thought that these two men represent so many of us. And man, I just felt like the writers just got it all. You know, I mean, my guts felt like, oh, I mean, between Randall knocking on the door and the judges and them like, you know, officially adopting Randall. And, you know, my heart was just bursting, you know. I didn't feel it quite as in depth as that. Yeah, big I, surprise, Paul. I, I got really charged up about the previews, about how they're going to. Okay, have let's move on to that. Let's get on to the previews. So this was a kind of a big preview block they showed us. Yeah, they're they're teasing that the next three consecutive episodes are going to be uh, centered on one of the triplets, starting with Kevin next week. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot about this knee and it looks like we're going to see what went down with the knee and whether or not he really was all that on the football field and all that kind of stuff. What I'm also super excited about that is that because it, they said that it was like, um, I'm not going to say the wording exactly right, but, but the, but the sentiment was, you're going to see what, what were the events that determined who they are today? And you know what that means? All Jack all the time, right? <laughs> We're going to see tons of Jack in the next three episodes because he is absolutely who molded who they are now. And whether it be how they acted with him or when they didn't do what he said they should do or whatever, it's all going to be coming through in, that, in these next three episodes. And would that put us, that'll put us right at holiday break, won't it? That'll be so the final one will be Randall right before Christmas break, right before we have the, it'll be the mid season break. Yeah. So it's, um, the next three 
number one, number two, and number three are are the next three in November. And then we don't come back again until February 4th. Oh, geez. Yeah. So it's the mid-season thing is going to be the one, two, three. And I think that's going to tell us everything about right where we were when Jack died is what I think. And so then, yeah, you're right. Then we come back and it's February 4th and we go all the way through then till the finale. And it is 18 episodes. So I think, you know, I... Ah, for all those who haven't watched all of season one, including Mr. Daly here, they have some time then in all of December to to binge, binge, binge and watch it. What else are you watching these days, Mr. Daly? I barely ever ask you that, but I feel like I need to ask because we've had so many other so many other shows that we are covering for so many shows.com. Well, as you know, I like to watch Arrow. Get, yeah. Keep up on the comic book world. Um we're covering the Orville right now for so many shows. I caught up. Uh, I was recently given some airplane time, so I caught up on The Gifted. Nice. I'm what a- are you like? Give me like a, I recommend you see it or you could skip it. The Gifted is pretty good. Okay. It's, um, if you like comic book stuff, you'd find it, you'd find it entertaining. I've also watched a few of the Inhumans. That is cheesier. Oh, so more of a skip it if you don't have the time. Right. Yeah, I mean it's 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 better than it started, but maybe that's just because I'm familiar with it now and, <laughs> and I want to see how it ends. But that doesn't make it like great TV. Yeah, so I picked up um, the Law and Order covering the Menendez brothers. I'm like in the like about uh, episode five or six here, and uh, man, I'm like glued to the set because I totally am like binge, binge, binge. Last night I don't think I fell asleep till like four a.m. because I was like. Keep my peepers open. I had to see everything that our Edie Falco was going to be telling us what's happening on in the trial. I did watch the first episode of the new Twin Peaks and try to get through the second one, but I just couldn't. And I was surprised to see that, you know, a lot of the times those premium channel shows, at least on HBO, they're very short seasons. They're like 10, 6, that kind of thing. Lynch made 18 of those monkeys to get through now you said it was complicated right yeah it uh doesn't follow traditional tv structure at all um which makes it very hard to know if we are watching scenes that ever pay off or if they are just like these one shot oh they just showed us that and we'll never know what happened or why or anything like that because it's the only time they mention it this whole episode. So we don't know if it's going to happen next episode or, or what. It's hard. It's very hard. Very. And and of course, we're only on episode three for Stranger Things, not because it's not amazing, but because we're trying to get to record after each one and we don't want to spoil ourselves. So we're trying really, really, really hard to not watch, but we are going to go watch it right now. Thanks for listening, you guys. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.